0: Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone.
1: We'll be chatting with our favourite people,
0: sharing uplifting news stories
1: and delivering tips and tricks
0: to bring balance to your lives.
1: Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today, Tim Minchin, sweet mama. What a great guy. God, I loved him so much. Tim, I hope you're listening to this. I really love you a lot. I love Tim Minchin so much. That off the back of this chat, I took my four-year-old to go see Matilda. Yes. Didn't even ask for freebies. I mean, that was a mistake. Should have done. Um, Tim's new show, Upright, is wonderful. But Tim, we, we were, uh, as a as a journalist, I was allowed to see the first four episodes and I would have sold relatives to see the rest of it. So the reason we're putting this out on a Thursday is because every episode... I use the word drops now, non-ironically. I'm 41. Uh, every episode drops today on Sky Atlantic, and I'm sure now TV as well. Um, and I cannot recommend it enough. It's wonderful. The cinematog— if, if you tell me that they've got the same cinematographer as as uh, they use on most Chris Nolan movies, I would believe you. It looks beautiful. Uh, the characters stay with you. There is a story to unpick. That is, I mean, that is fantastic the way they've done that, and it's got fucking Tim Minchin in it for God's sake, Uh, yeah. It's it's terrific. So it was just great to spend time in the company of. I'm going to say the word polymath, but he is, he he absolutely is. Um, And just to try to, I guess, pop. Oh God, (laughs) I nearly said pop the bonnet. I'd like to apologise to myself for even thinking that, but to see, to try. See what makes someone like Tim tick. Um, yeah, wonderful. You're going to love this. This is a great chat. Tim Minchin, he brought his A-game. He delivered. He knocked this out of the park. I mean, I think we're very lucky. I think everyone brings their A-game and delivers and knocks it out of the park. But the uh, the Tim chat, it, I've really enjoyed re-listening to this episode to get it ready for you. And uh, to get it ready for Thursday. So depending when you listen to this, but this has come out on the 28th of November and it's, every episode is available now. So if you are looking for that box set, and aren't we all, then this is the answer to those box set prayers upright. It is a comedy, but there's also drama in it. It ticks a lot of uh, boxes. My wife, for example, not a massive comedy fan, but I know she'll love this because um, there's so much going on. It's brilliant. Tim Minchin, I, I could I could just talk about Tim Minchin, but that would be a terrible episode because even I want to get to Tim Minchin himself. So here he is, the great man. Oh, we we also talk about Larrickins, and and that that was you know that was really interesting as well. Um, but there's so, there's so much to talk about. I mean, what a career, what a life, what a brain. Yeah, I'm going to shut up now. Tim Minchin, take it away. What a guy. <laughs> this may as well have just been three minutes of me applauding. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Oh, hang on a minute. What am I doing? Shameless self-promotion. I've got it. I mean, do I do this? No, I'll do it at the end. I'll do it at the end. Uh, Yeah, you'll see. Anyway, here he is, the great Tim Minchin. Sweet. I'll tell you what, I'll put this closer to you if that's all right. I'll tuck in. (laughs) Uh, Tim, it's... uh, I feel like it's a piece of work that's going gonna, gonna to stay with me. It's, like hooked it, it's, it's hooked its way in there. I've, I've already been boring you with lines that I've remembered from it, so it's not even a question when I say congratulations, but
0: uh, you must be uh, super chuffed with how this one has panned out. Yeah, I am, actually. Um, in a way, I haven't been with anything ever because... Seriously? Well, I liked Matilda when that was up and I think the thing the thing that allows you to really like something you've you have had a big role in creating is of course that it's not just you so something like Upright is such a massive you know making a TV series and all those you know months in the writing room and all the different writers and all the different people you you kind of can give yourself permission to say oh no I'm really proud of that this because it's not quite so narcissistic you know like if I if I <laughs> If I watch some of my comedy back, I just can't bear it it's too just too know, much you. me and you know i don't know it's I find it virtually physically unbearable but um weirdly even in upright, even though I'm in upright, I don't find myself hard to watch in the way I do when I'm doing comedy because i'm I'm lucky I'm not me and you know and and as you say the the cinematographer and the light and the the gaffers and they're all so good that i I'm like, oh, it came up all right, and that, you know, so, and also the people we've shown so far. I mean, you've seen the first half. Um, I the, it, the reactions are really good, and not just like it's great, but are really emotional. Um, like, People want to talk to me about it and unpack it, just the, the cast and crew and the people you've shown in the industry. And you, the second four get more and more like that. They, you, you know, people come out very red-eyed from the end of the last episode.
1: I mean, just so you know, and, 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 and I say this with love in my heart, but I could have killed you when episode four ended the way that it did. Because yeah. I think I even said it out loud... Oh come on! You yeah, know, yeah. I don't, obviously, I don't want to spoil it for the people. No, who but he has. It, he, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, the premise being that this guys kind of for some reason driving across Australia with a piano in his ute, and you don't quite work out why until the final ep. Actually,
1: I was going to say what's wonderful as well is because if you read the synopsis, mm. you might think that this is some sort Pretty of straightforward whim- or, yeah. or quite whimsical. Oh, a yeah. guy driving a piano across. Yeah, it is so not. It's, it's so far removed from what I was expecting right, in the right. greatest way possible oh know. that's
0: good, yeah that's a very good point you'd think whimsical would be what you'd presume but it's incredibly active and and uh, the comedy and drama sit on a knife point that I'm obsessed by in, in all my work going how far can you pull an audience one way how much will I swallow uh, comedically or absur- you know in, in terms of absurdity and then how and and then still come with you when you turn the corner and ask them to care and it's not infinite I think there's plenty of examples of telly that's so funny and silly that when you're asked to care you you don't quite so much because you've broken a sort of contract of realism or whatever which I love it all I'm just saying in this show I tried to make sure it could get and, and in episode seven which you haven't seen it gets pretty like really, We're like, this is happening? But, um, not, it doesn't break reality, but, like, they get themselves in all sorts of, all manner of strife. And, <laughs> and and yet I really believe in audiences will come with you as long as the characters are authentic and you believe them. And the reason you said, oh, for come on, in Ep Four is because, um, so this guy, you know, has a, a interaction, a crash with a runaway kid, like a... Well, at least we don't really know whether she's running away she's, or what she's running towards, but she's a teenager, a 16-year-old. And uh, <laughs> and and what our protagonist does is continue, constantly abdicate responsibility. You, you're like, come on, mate, she's obviously a vulnerable kid on her own. You, you have to be a father or an uncle. And, and our understanding of story is that he will become an avuncular figure he will protect her and he keeps just <laughs> making really bad and quite selfish decisions you
1: know. but there is again okay, and, and I can't spoil it there's one scene in particular I'm not doing the mind yes yes sure because I, I think you can't keep letting her down like this and so that yeah. scene was one and that's the beauty of the show isn't it where I'm yeah. thinking he's not going to do the thing he's just done the thing that I didn't think he because yeah. I think, I think in, if, if, if in the hands of someone else he, he wouldn't have made the decisions that he makes, but the fact that he does make the decisions is, I guess, the genius of the show, isn't it?
0: Well, he makes... Yeah, exactly. So you need to have the audience going, come on, mate, you need to make better decisions than that. But you need to believe him enough as a character and like him enough so that you don't give up on him, and you need to do that in the first 15 minutes... And you need to slightly like his amorality, but also go, actually, he doesn't seem like a sort of naturally immoral character. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. What, why, what is pulling him? What is making him have to make these decisions? What? What? What is it that these texts coming through from his brother, what is it that he's, I mean, we understand very early on that his mum's sick. But there's some there's something a bit unhinged about him, something some damage that he's carrying that that you go there's something something we need to discover here. And actually, even though it's it's a forward moving comedy drama, uh, traveling a, a a literal journey <laughs> through the desert, home having he hasn't been home for years, and you don't but it, but it's. It's also obviously like all great road journeys, a metaphorical journey about carrying the burdens we carry and stuff. So we get all that and you're a little bit of whimsy, but it's also a mystery. You're trying to work out who these people are. And that that's the bit of it that I am um proud of is that it's in Disneyland. You go tell the audience who your characters are and what they want straight away, set their want. And then you go about, um, watching them try to achieve it and at the end of act two they have a terrible setback and then they triumph over adversity in this structure whereas upright goes you don't know who these people are really you're not even sure if they're using their real names they're both unreliable narrators neither of them are protagonists we feel like we can entirely sure. trust we don't know why he's doing what he's doing we don't know what he's really he doesn't we don't know why he's taking this piano we don't know why she's a 16-year-old girl driving a car by herself, we have a sense that there's stuff we need to find out. And according to how you feel and most people have seen it, people want to stick with them. They're not, they're not uh, left behind by the fact that we don't know their motives.
1: Because I, I want... Again, I prefer have to edit the sound because it might give
0: something away. Yeah, oh, no, nah, I... well, I'll, I'll go.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
0: <laughs> And you have to edit the sound because I need to put some toast in my mouth because I'm a little bit... <laughs>
1: Uh, what was it? Was it a special occasion last night?
0: <laughs> Every night's <a> special occasion. <laughs> when, I'm in, when I'm in London, it's just like, who am I going to see for breakfast? Who am I going to see for dinner? Because my favourite people in the world live here, and I don't sure. live here, and um, I come to London. I, I love, I fucking love being here.
1: Are you still pals with a lot of the London comedians, then?
0: I've never... You can probably observe this having sort of saying, "I'm I'm not really part of the gang, am I?" Partly because I never really did the clubs because I I always needed pianos and stuff. Um, only Watson, Mark Watson. Mm. But I I think he's in Edinburgh. I won't see him this week. I do that classic thing of I
1: assume because I've been like a comedy fan since like the womb. Mm. So I assume that I think a lot of people do this. You assume that all comedians are pals and they all mm. live in some magical comedy funhouse. house. And well,
0: when the you get to know people, you realise that he yeah. he's not twin to her and she's not, you know. Yeah, I do I do get to meet a lot, you know, I've met a lot of people. Um, all the way from the huge stadium guys to, you know, to the the geniuses to Kitson and Co. And and I, I tend Watson and I very much were thrust together in two thousand and five. We we're both nominated for a thing in Melbourne and I think we're both nominated for a thing here. Yeah. And um And I don't know, you know, I sort of fell in love with Watson. He's a a fumbling mess of a man, like we all are. And, um, and he kept coming back to Australia when, you know, stuff. So, um, and I love, um, I I became friends with the nerdy, you know, I'm a nerd. I'm not, um, you know, I like, I like all the geeks. And, um, but yeah, my friends are not, even in Australia now, we're there. When I was in LA, my friends are not. I'm not one of those people who tries to find people of equal or greater celebrity than me and hang out with them. Although I, I really enjoy seeing and meeting other artists, but I don't know. I guess I've got a wife and kids and we meet our friends through that. I mean, that, as, a, as someone with wife and kids, mm. that'll, do, that'll also do it to your social life, mm-hmm. won't it? Yeah, yeah. Your social life ends up being structured around them But I'm also lucky because I, you know, I live in Sydney now, and that's been a big adjustment. And we've started to make friends there. And my sisters, I've got two sisters there. And then I go, all right, so I have to go to London for a week, and then I have a whole other bunch of experiences and and amazing people I get to see here, and theatre people. You know, I'm I'm more connected to the theatre than comedy. And then I go, oh, I have to go to film a thing in, you know, West Australia, or I have to go film a thing in LA, and so I don't have a um, gang at all, actually. I, I would consider myself someone with not... That I, I sometimes feel jealous of people who have a like, oh, these are my friends from uni and we catch up every month and I, I've lost all that because of my transience.
1: But, I mean, from what Chinty is with you and, and reading pieces, you... It, I mean, I could be wrong, but you you seem to be in a, a, a good place in that regard, though. You know, it's not... I don't... Am I,
0: am I wrong? Yeah, right? I, I, I'm... Um, I've always been quite conservative in lifestyle and choices. So I've got my partner and I have been together since we were kids, famously. And, um, and I make, I'm, I'm, I'm am I'm not a damaged, you know, so many damaged comedians. My comedy and my work is not a sort of salve that I put on damage. It's a yeah. thing driven by curiosity and by an, and just a utter gobsmacked surprise that I get to. You know, having come from Perth and being self-taught, I'm like, what, I'm in London making a (laughs) musical or I'm in Australia making... Like, this is, like, I'm driven by, oh, shit, I didn't know I was going to be allowed to do this. Well, I'm going to really do it, you know. But I I make um, self-mitigating choices all the time about what I put in my body and how much time I spend away from my kids and not, not having sex with other people and all those things that you have to make these fucking annoying choices to to have the sum total... More peaceful existence.
1: Mate, if you, what you just said there, I could put that into a self help book and it would, it would tell me. Because that, for me, you've distilled Mm. how to maintain a semblance of a
0: happy. And it's not a new idea, is it, that you have to resist? It's an old religious, you know, puritan, uh, you know, don't let yourself do the stuff. But, but it, the, the sort of secular version of a religious abstinence, um, and self denial, the, the, the non, Structured, the non encoded version of that is I am making a judgment that I know what I feel like when I make poor choices. And, and I think I'm 43 now. I think you get to a point where you realize the value of peace. In fact, in Fleabag season two, Andrew Scott, my favorite actor in the world, who plays the priest in season two, just talks about like, I, he he values above everything peace. He happens to be a priest, but um. But you do go, oh, especially with the world as it is now, you just. I just want my brain not to be. I don't. I don't want to feel distressed. I just want to feel not distressed, and you have to do a bunch of things. You have to not take too many drugs and not. Ruin your relationship, and you have to not read the news too much, and you have to put your phone down and fucking breathe and be conscious in the present. You have to fucking work now at at just a moment of toast and tea. You know,
1: you have to, you, I, I, mate. I could not, you could not agree more. You have to work really hard at enjoying the here and now, and the yeah. You know, you actually have to, you know, I know, you know deepak chopra, you know, read whatever yeah, you yeah. like, Eckhart Tolle. But you know all these things, and it sounds ridiculous. But you do have to work hard to
0: find that piece, don't yep. you? And I have there's a layer which I'm certainly not complaining about. I mean, which is the, which is privilege. This idea of how we all have to check our privilege, which actually I find the constant rolling out of the trope in any situation incredibly boring. But it's a very useful idea. Um, out out of all this sort of virtue signaling. Um, moral outrage that we seem to all do now has come some really important ideas for privileged white men and other privileged people. The term virtue signaling is a very useful thing to be aware of to check yourself. Sure. Am I just doing this to tell people how right on I am? You know, although yeah, people batter you over the head with it every time you say anything, but, um, the idea of privilege has been important i think for the world of of everyone needs to just go well hold on what have i got as a what What was i born with in my pockets that other people weren't born with but it's made me really sad i mean it's it's contributed to my guilt what they call survivor guilt being one of the lucky ones and my big journey is over the last year has been like oh i'm never letting myself enjoy the fruits of my luck i've been incredibly lucky so I get to, you know, live near the ocean and I've been incredibly lucky so I've got he- healthy kids. But I'm so feel so guilty about it all. I'm so sort of aware of my privilege that I've I've actually lost the ability to go Wicked, we're going to the beach, kids, and sure. we're just gonna have a really lovely you know. And um having identified that I'm failing to do that, I'm getting much better. I'm like, Oh no, I'm allowed to enjoy some stuff. You can go do your charity and you know do whatever you need to do to mitigate your guilt but you're allowed to also i mean what's the point of being one of the lucky ones if you can't have fun
1: <laughs> but I, I can hear my, my i can hear my therapist saying the fact she would if she was say now she would say that the fact that you've just said that out loud is wonderful because you're aware that you need to smell the roses yeah from, and that's the hard yeah. part isn't it that's
0: right yeah and this is you know obviously it's absurd Yeah, am I have a fantastic, to come back to your original question, uh, um, I'm, I'm, um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, and that's the other thing is you get older and as a man, I think especially, although maybe not, um, you, you realize how few people are really well, like, or at least you realize how many people really just struggle with mental health and men at our age, particularly, you suddenly go, Oh, there are not many people who are just kind of all right. Yeah, sure. And not like acting out of damage or acting out of a slightly sort of desperate stumbling through life. Do you, do you think if... if more upright's people... about all of this, actually, it, you know, I... to the extent that I don't want to get too far just wanking myself into a, a conversational corner. This is this period of my life of of being this age and needing to take a breath out and find... To You'll see at the end, it's almost literally about... His shoulders have to be able to come. back. He needs to let go of all his burdens to be able to stand upright. That's the sort of metaphorical reason for the title. And so, yeah, the show is all about this. You know, how do you, how do you let yourself put your burdens, your burdens down?
1: Because, but when when one is able to do that, I mean, that is the the catharsis and the emotion that comes with being able to
0: give yourself a fucking break yeah it's incredibly powerful yeah that's right and i think statistically men in their 40s and uh, women as well actually it's the hardest it's when you're least happy um something about facing mortality and realizing that your vessel's breaking down and realizing that maybe you don't have all the time you thought you did to correct the things you'd done wrong or to to start down paths you thought one day i'll start down and they suddenly go "Oh, oh my Fuck, <laughs> might be getting kind of late to start down that path and all that midlife crisis stuff. And then apparently from early 40s to mid-50s people, or mid-30s to early 50s people get, are out there kind of most metaphysically distressed, you know, emotionally sure. unstable. And then it starts getting better and mostly st- keeps getting better as you age in terms of just ability to be happy which suggests being happy is not about achieving massive goals or getting lots of stuff, which um, Richard Branson made the mistake of saying on Twitter the other day. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, okay. I thought it was fine. I mean, you know, the, the, oh, just the pile of... How yeah. dare you, a wealthy man, say stuff doesn't matter? It's like, well, the only person who knows whether having loads of stuff matters to, to him spiritually is a person who's had all the stuff. And he's, you know, he's allowed to get on Twitter and go, as a man with loads of stuff, I just want to say at the age of 65 or whatever he is, you know, my family and friends do matter the most to me. And everyone's like, you can't say, how dare you say a thing you think about a thing. You're rich, you're not a human.
1: This is very ridiculous. Anyway. But you're not thinking like if Gandhi came back from the dead, people on Twitter, what is it? Fucking attention seeking. Yeah, that's you know? right.
0: Sleep with your niece. <laughs> yeah. He did have a few kips with his niece. <laughs> Apparently, just to test his resolve <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't it. think we don't know. <laughs> That's right.
0: Also, <laughs> also, you've come back from the dead. Check your privilege. Not everyone gets to. The yeah, yeah.
1: You have no idea. How much yeah, more.
0: yeah. Um, was that? Was that? My grandfather's <laughs> died, and he's still dead. Think about how that might feel. Hashtag Bastard! <laughs>
1: Um, given the th- given the themes of the show, and you know what we've talked about, was that a de- was that a deliberate choice, or de- did that come after the idea of driving the piano acro- across Australia? What, I know it's a
0: chicken and egg thing. Yeah, I'm chewing. I'm chewing. It's <laughs> such good toast. Um, it's very much the latter. So. Um, one of the wonderful things about, you know, I was saying earlier, I, I feel proud of this and I feel like I'm allowed to be proud of it because it's so collaborative. Um, there was so much joy in the creation of this show. A little bit of stress as well, but it's a big thing. And the initial joy, which was Chris Taylor, who is famous in Australia for being part of a, a satirical sort of um, troupe of satirists called The Chaser who pull stunts on politicians and stuff, Um came up with his premise and really just the, the whimsical aesthetic of the idea of a, a beautiful instrument in Australia's harsh outback. And he went to, to Lingo, to the production company, and said, I've got this idea about a guy with the piano across the outback. And they went, all right, well, we can buy into that premise. And then they gathered a couple of writers, Leon Ford and Kate Mulvaney, who happened to be both really good actor, writer, friends of mine. I think they did it quite consciously because they thought, well, the person to work on this is Tim. So let's get, make sure when we pitch it to him, we pitch it to him with lots of stuff he'll be attracted to. Because at that stage, I wasn't really doing Australian projects. I was still in Hollywood. Sure. Um, so they were trying to um, sweeten it up before they came to me and it worked. They came to me, the guy across the desert with a piano. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, that's the obvious thing to come. People come to me with, what about? There's a dude. And he plays piano. Um, yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I guess I could. What? Um, Where are you coming up with this? Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah. It's called Tim. There's been a, yeah, that's right. It's called Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he plays the accordion. Um, slight variations on I thing. He's got quite long hair. Um, and... So I went, oh yeah, it's lovely. That's a lovely idea. And as soon as you think of a big, you know, the piano, that movie is, is sort of the premise is a, a, an instrument somewhere, something. And a, a piano is a mechanism, a sort of classical human invention that requires incredible precision and, and is beautiful in its mechanism and in its aesthetic. And. Juxtaposing that with something with wildness and chaos is you know it's not fucking rocket science, but it's lovely, it's It's beautiful, and and then they went. Oh, by the way, the writers who developed the thing of Kate Mulvaney and Leon Ford, and I'm like, oh, this sounds great. Click. (laughs) And so I came back to Australia, and I was went back to Australia, and I was sitting in the room with them. And it was really it's going to be a two-hander. They'd also come up with the idea of him having a car accident, or at least a sort of scrape with a with this young person. And, but what though? What we sat down to make was a two-hander comedy. Uh, Chris was talking a lot about the trip, you know, with Coogan and yeah, gorgeous man, and um, Bryden, gorgeous, gorgeous Bryden, and. uh and you know this sort of whimsical, funny, odd couple, which it which it obviously is an odd couple. You know how are these people going to get along? But I had just gone through this terrible year sure. you know, artistically, yes. Um, where two big projects, big big projects that I invested years in, had both sort of <laughs> been has, burnt. It's like the most optimistic person he's ever lived. Yeah. Is
1: can a can a Richard Branson? Can someone? Can Kins be saved?
0: Oh, uh, it doesn't suit the people who killed it to let it be saved. So, yes, it can. There's lots of people who would save it. But they, that uh, Universal Pictures said to my face when Netf- Netflix was going after it. Um, so, so if Netflix, Larrikins was, a, for the listener, an animated musical that where you had spent 50 million bucks in four years on Australian Outback singing animal musical voiced by all the famous Australians you can name um Hans Zimmer was helping me with the score you know that was wicked and hard 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 work not like digging hole but coal but um but hard um and the the trouble is if someone else wants it you have to the the software is DreamWorks software so you have to license the software to somewhere else give them all the hard drives and blah blah so so that so they would sell it to netflix for the 50 million bucks that's already been spent on it plus all this you know other money and then they would say oh netflix go well, we still have 50 million bucks to spend on it because it was a hundred million dollar budget movie that is only half finished then universal would then say and by the way when you release it we'll take half the profit because it's our and you're like and i said to the ceo the one of the top people at Universal, but." Obviously that means it can't be sold because you can't make a profit with all the profit of a hundred million dollar move. Like that risk is already a crazy gamble. You can't, you can't ask someone to spend 150 million on it and then take half the, and they went, "Um, yeah. And I went, but why don't you, you've already binned it. You've used it as a tax write off (laughs) against the purchase of the studio or whatever you used it as. Why don't, what, what, what do you, why are you making it impossible for someone else to make? And, and Jimmy went, schmuck insurance. It's, it's schmuck insurance. And I went, what? And he went, schmuck, schmuck insurance. You know, if it comes out and does well and we don't have, I mean, how will we look? We'll look stupid for shutting it down in the first place. And I went, Jimmy, that's, you know, that's psychopathic. And he went, he got cross with me for calling him a psychopath. Like, this is, this is an honest, but gentlemanly conversation. And he went, I'm not a psychopath. And I went, well, I think you're a nice man, but right now, and the reason you are where you are in your job is because you can be and are being a psychopath. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was that. So is, that.
1: Is there any way he's going to... Can someone... Yeah,
0: I don't know. It's, like, no. The good thing is that I... The loss of art and the loss of time and all those things, I mean, the only thing that gets you past that stuff is time and, and learning to just not... not Think about it anymore. And I was going to say, which... like, your therapist might say you have to like thrash it <laughs> yeah, up. But actually, at a point, it with all the shit things that happen in your life, you go, you know what? I'm going to tell myself not to think about that all day now. A friend of mine once said to me, uh, I'll tell you who it was afterwards. Uh,
1: the, the key is to to get over something. You've got to stop telling the story.
0: And I keep reminding myself of, oh my god! I mean, that that, that sentence you just said there is sort of my obsession. We're currently sitting in a room where I'm developing a new musical, which is exactly about how we construct narratives, you know, and, and I say that to my daughter all the time. She keeps going, I'm terrible at this. I'm, I'm like, you know, you're, I mean, it's not the secret. It's not magic. You know, you, you can't manifest magic shit in the world. But what you can do is, I think in psych they call it self-signposting. You keep telling yourself you're a loser. It's, it's just not, you're not building the right freaking protein bridges in your brain, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, and that's why positive affirmations. Again, it's not magic. You don't. You don't go. I'm going to be rich, and then you find a bag of money. But if you say, "I'm a hard worker," or "I'm a kind person," and you—that's the story you tell yourself. And if you're telling yourself a story, they, the story, they—the universal—fucked me, and 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 how dare they take my work away? From, I could have been, you know, my main thing, well, apart from the fact I was incredibly upset for the people who really, for Harry who wrote it and Pierre who was the head animator and people for whom their careers would be damaged by this not coming out, years of work. I'm all right, but it did huge damage. But apart from that, I was just like, do you know what I could have been doing? Do you know what I said no to in those four years? Do you know the career I kind of turned my back on in London so that I could come and do this? thing that i thought would be worth it you know um and then my musical groundhog day went to broadway and just didn't survive that season for lots of reasons some of them terrible psychopathic american producer reasons but mostly just like bad luck and um i I have to leave room in my head for the possibility that it's not very good and people just didn't like it but um certainly didn't when it opened here it certainly didn't seem like that um but uh so, so I was sitting in this room with upright writers, and they were going, "It's going to be a comedy." And I went, and it wasn't because of all that. I was just, I'm not really that interested in comedy. I, I've never been um, that interested in comedy. Really? Well, not really. I mean, I, I've never self-identified as a stand-up, and I've never before I started doing comedy, I'd never seen a stand-up show. I just it wasn't. It's not the. I think
1: that's really common with yeah. a lot of stand-ups, you
0: know. Yeah.
1: You know, to assume that they're all. They all love like the goons or yeah, or like yeah, that, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, there whatever. are some
0: of them, but there's a type that is just like oh, I just said this stuff, and people start laughing, which is which is why com- comedians are so diverse and it's good. Sure. But I, it's not the. Um, well, you can tell by the way I talk. I, I I'm um, more obsessed by uh, getting my head around ideas, and and it's it suits my. Sure. My my brain is very suited to this. How do we make a musical out of this story? And what are the themes? And what's the subtext? And
1: and that comes across on the old, on the on the albums as well. You know, the each song is yeah, you wrapping your head around yeah it. an
0: idea and the structure and, I, and 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 I sometimes I think I'm mad to have sort of stopped doing comedy like I did because I was obviously okay at it. You know, and That's I him. but I really only did comedy for six years in my life. I went 2004. I sort of went oh maybe this is a comedy show. And then in 2010, I started my orchestra show, which was my last tour, right?
1: Holy f- Only oh, now that you say that out loud. because
0: uh, you know, 2012, that tour finished. So I guess six years of my life were like, oh, this is what I do. And I wrote Matilda in the middle of that, sure. by the way. And I wrote a musical in 2006. Actually, the through line of my life is I'm a theatre guy. Yeah. I'm an actor, composer, songwriter, you know. And yet this thing that changed my life, these stupid fucking songs, and, and, a, and a penchant for talking about God um, or whatever, about big ideas. I mean, the, the, the tour I'm about to do is, is, is back. It's back to form. But I still, you know, I called it old songs, new songs, fuck you songs, because I wanted to say, what I do is concerts. And I know in Britain you, you, the word comedy and the word stand up are, are synonymous, and people always go, "Tim mentions the stand up." I'm like, "No, I do concerts," and, and there's no doubt when I talk on stage, I tend, I have a tendency towards making people laugh, and and I've done this tour in Australia, and people laugh all the way through. So I'm, I'm comfortable that I'm not going to be denying my British audience what they want, sure. but I want to just keep going. I, I do concerts. I'm a com- you know i wrote matilda i'm that i'm that guy you're coming to see me do a concert you know and and uh i don't know why that matters to me i i just i just um it's i love making people laugh i'm just not obsessed by the form i've never really analyzed why people like my stuff i've never really analyzed why my musical comedy can be bad and good and i could pontificate on what i think's good and what's bad but i haven't I don't spend a lot of time holding a microscope above my own work at all. I can't bear I think thinking Johnny, about my own work. I think Johnny
1: Carson once said, you don't set the frog, the frog's still dead. Yeah, exactly, like, like, that's some, right. Some yeah. there's no point. Well,
0: that's how I, I absolutely I feel like, yeah, there's no point packing a dead frog. In, 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 there is biologically, I love that shit. But, um, uh, <laughs> but so, so when I sat down at the end of this tough year and having not really, and they were like, this is going to be funny. This is going to be a comedy. My instinct was, i got a funny old head. I tonally understand comedy, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got to where I got. Let's not make a comedy. It'll be funny. I, I I'm sort of want to make a drama. I, and and every, this is not just me. Everyone was sort of talking ourselves around to the fact that we thought, if this is the premise, and we all kind of came up with this, like, and his mum's obviously sick, Now we've got a drama. And the comedy will come because we're all comedy writers. Leon Ford and Chris Tyler and me and and Kate. uh, uh, We can't help ourselves, you know. And um, and, hi, sorry. Sorry. I love you, sorry. Um, It's a co-writer. What's that? About two more minutes. Oh, really? I told him we could go all the way. Um, we'll, We'll do... Seven. Can you just tell Ella what we're yeah. doing and we'll, we'll try and go as close to 10 o'clock as we can. Yeah. Thank you, sorry. Thanks ever so much. Um, that's award-winning playwright Ella Hickson, who we just told to fuck off. Um, uh, <laughs> so, so we're sitting there and, and I, I guess the only thing I know about making art is, and I've said it over and over again, you have to bring everything you are into everything you do. That's the trick, right? I think people... Jesus. What I thought when I was young before, the reason comedy took off for me is it it happened when I went, I play piano, I like doing weird poems, I like talking about this stuff, I'm, I'm sort of an actor and I can do lots of words fast and I'm just gonna stick it all on stage and that changed my life. Before that I was trying to get an agent to be an actor for these people, I was trying to be a composer for those people, I was trying to like repress my tendency to be silly so that I could get a record deal and write pop songs. And since then, I've developed this not interesting or 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 new idea that it's about going whatever it is I've got in my kit right now. Feeling a bit depressed, have just you know moved country or whatever. That that's what comes in because that's what's present and that's what you're examining subconsciously. You know, so I brought to upright a, a sense of having been a bit battered check if I can privilege. I'm obviously spoiled, rotten, but I felt a bit battered. And that
1: comes across in the performance. Right? It's all... I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. Scene one.
0: Yeah. You know, it's yeah, in the face, it's, 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 like, like, oh, it's in the posture, it's... You can't, you, know. you can't, it's just the tiny thing is just a fly or a seatbelt. He's just right, agitated, yeah. you know. And, and so I, and Kate was, brought what she was, you know, Leon brought and Chris brought, but I brought a sense of feeling a bit battered and, and a real set of confused ideas about what home is and what matters about that because i was on the brink of after 12 years of being on the most amazing adventure having our babies in london moving to hollywood of trying to get back to australia and that comes with all this like oh god are we really this is this the end of our grand adventure are we giving up or we go-? and especially perth to me and the visceral sense of what it is to have a home Mm -hmm. when we've made really successful deep rooted homes in melbourne london and la and now sydney having come from perth this notion of what is home and not knowing the answer is discombobulating and so lucky's which you haven't got to some of this stuff but lucky's damage is partly that he's been ejected from or chosen he's in exile Perhaps self, perhaps we, we, you don 't know yet sure. and and the pervasive damage of dehomifying yourself, like of, of trying to tell yourself that a home doesn't matter or that you make your home wherever you are, wherever you, th- you put your, hang your hat, all of which are good ideas and allow you to travel the world, but there's something fundamentally destabilizing about not acknowledging. What in, in Aboriginal Australia, they just talk about country. This is like, um, this, this notion of a fundamental, for them, spiritual, for me, more, I could analyze it, you know, a sense of smells and places and people and the color of the sky in Perth and the, the type of ocean and temperature of the ocean and the sort of beach sand and the, and the eucalypts and the acacias and what it feels like to be on my dad's little farm and, um, and so I was bringing all that, this sort of contemplation of home, with me into it as well. So so suddenly it became quite a sort of spiritual journey, you know. And when you get to the yeah. end, you'll text me and you'll go, I'm sobbing. <laughs> and i to go say goes, little, it sucked in, bro. <laughs> I made you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't take much to
1: make me cry and I can already feel that it's going to be yeah. Niagara Falls. Yeah,
0: but it's not a... And and, and and upright doesn't end in a explosion. It ends in a tiny, still place and and that's something i'm interested too i think you can tell grand stories without having to have an alien land or someone to pull a gun you know
1: is it will it run and run or is it a
0: one-shot deal then it's it's eight half hours and i my instinct is that that that's done it it is actually a, a story about closure as you can already sense something needs to finish he needs to unburden himself and the kid's got some shit going on that you've just learned a bit about that she needs to find a place to put that pain and he needs to find a place. So it's a show a bit about closure and it's, I I mean, you never say never. And I know if it goes well, I'll have pressure from the (laughs) commissioners, Ah. but I, you know, don't you think it's nice to go, no, I've made a piece of art and that's it. Not not just spin it out and exploit it over and over again, but if we do, obviously, the only way we'll go to a second season is, is if someone has the best idea ever of and course, we'll get excited by it. Rather than they're mm. going on holiday. Yeah, exactly, right? Let's do a different journey. I,
1: I, no, I have a feeling that uh, I'll be seeing the, the girl who plays Meg. I can imagine, oh, my God. I can imagine. And the Academy what You know what I mean? It's like She's Kate, so... Kate Blanchett, yeah. uh How good is she? I mean, like any... I'm tearing up. Like any great actor, she's making you laugh one minute and then yeah, some, and she, something in my eye the next minute. Yeah, you know?
0: and she's um. So I'm not a trained actor, but um, uh, and but know, this years, is a big you know, test. Yeah, this is a big test for me. I mean, I've acted a lot over the last few years on stage, and I've been quite consciously and deliberately doing an apprentice, deliberately taking this dramatic role. And Robin Hood was an interesting choice, but um, uh. You know, I've done a bit of comedy, a bit of straight stage acting, a bit of musical theatre acting, a bit of, you know, which I, I was an actor long before I was a comedian. I just wasn't a successful one um, and it wasn't my main priority. But in the last few years I've made it one of my things Absolutely. I'm trying to do. And so, and I'm, I've am i been around. I, I kind of know enough about acting to to know that, that I'm desperate that, that everyone leaves the kid alone, that Millie is not... Firstly, I hope she doesn't get too much too soon because she's very young and you don't ever want anyone to suddenly be the next hot thing because that's she, usually damaging. Because you can
1: imagine the, you know, I won't name them but Uber agency from Hollywood will be, I mean, they, whether we like it or yeah, not, they will be um,
0: knocking her door. Um, to, um, they're already, you know, yeah, they're sure. there. My, my Hollywood agent's like, how do I get her? <laughs> um, Uh But what she has is very simple. She has a utterly natural ability to listen. You, you watch the camera on her when I'm talking and she's just present back to being present and some actors really good actors are really good but you can tell that they're sort of waiting for their next line and they have a way they're going to do it but she's she listens and you it, it's that's, that's I thought it, it, it might talking. be it once we had all written this I, I thought oh this this could be a freaking punish this shoot because we've got to cast a teenage girl and I'm gonna be stuck in a ute with a teenage girl for 10 weeks. And what's that going to be? And like, also, what if,
1: you secret, what if you cast someone who you secretly think, oh God, we've, we've got the wrong person here, or they're not up to it, or.
0: Or they just know. have a meltdown, or, you know. Millie was not only an incredible actress, but like, she had less sort of emotional vulnerable moments than the director and me. She's just like. She found stuff hard, and told me after the fact that she went away and had a little cry that day because you know whatever. But she never got her. Her mum never came to set her. You know she didn't. Sure. She didn't sort of. She's so uh, in herself for a kid that age. And, and and people are going to just fall in love with it. Oh, f- I'm in love with I was, I'm in love with the character, and I'm in in love with the actress. She's really really special. Uh,
1: and so I know, I know we've got to wrap up, and you're very kind of here yeah. to extra time. May May I ask, you'd had huge success, but then Matilda took it to what, what my friend would call thermonuclear level. <laughs> what What on earth was that like? Because that's uh, as I say, that's that's another dimension, isn't it?
0: And Matilda's just this story that you you. Even if you're a self-doubting, self-loathing cynic, there's no real bad angle on Matilda. I, I wrote most of it very quickly in one six-week period in 2008. Handed it to Matthew Watchers and the team who are, have who were by then already my favourite people on the planet, and still, uh, you know, he's helping. I, I'm totally in love with those guys. I love them more. I'm totally in love with Dennis Kelly. Totally in love with Matthew and Rob. I'm seeing Rob, the designer tonight. I'm seeing Chris, the orchestrator tomorrow. They, they, they've become my people. So personally, amazing. Professionally, it taught me. It, it, Matthew very clearly sort of said, you're writing very ironically, like winky-winky in your songs. You, 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 you should give yourself permission to write sincerely, and that changed my life, and it's all over Upright. The level, I'm not winking at the audience, it's not ironic. It's all from there, isn't it? Yeah, it's still funny, but, you know, like Ricky's Afterlife tries to tread this comedy-drama line and does it brilliantly. But the difference between Ricky's and mine, not not as a value judgment, is his has a little shimmering sense of, well, Ricky's there. Like, he's slightly in front of his character, whereas whereas I've tried to shed... There's lots of irony in the show, but the show's not ironic. We're not saying to the audience, don't worry, you don't have to invest. This is a bit of a, in fact, after is not a good example because Ricky's actually done really well at not, not winking to, not letting the audience off the hook. But I mean, there are shows where there is that. D- yeah. Don't like worry. you don't, you don't, don't worry. worry. It's, it's just us doing a thing, you know. Yeah. And, and, and so I learned a huge amount about craft. I, I met beautiful people. Then it went on. Then it, you know, I was off doing orchestras. I opened my orchestra tour in Birmingham in 2010, the night before Matilda opened in Stratford. I'm mean, going to look back and go, what was going on in my fucking brain? Like, how did I not wig out? <laughs> I did an arena show, and that first show in Birmingham, I sent a runner out that day to get two copies of the Quran, and I made up that day a bit about, you know, that little bit I did about, you know, the Quran and Harry Potter and burning books. I made it up that day. Got up and did it in front of nine thousand people in the most Muslim city in Britain, and then got on a train and went to the United Matilda. Like I'm, I'm like I'm. Ten years later, I'm like, whoa, kid, you're a fucking bulletproof bro. <laughs> like I, I'm too, I'm too old and scared now. You know, <laughs> um, uh, it wasn't a very good bit, but it sort of made a point. Um, <laughs> and then Matilda transfers, and, and and since then, I don't know. There's been a hundred and something Matildas. Literally millions of people have seen it. Hundreds of thousands of kids have had their first theatrical experience of their lives, which I remember mine. I don't know if you remember yours. Absolutely. And the thing they saw was a little feminist superhero in this time where apparently, you know, men shouldn't write women's, or can't write women's voices and blah, blah. This unbelievable feminist superhero who says, knowledge is what emancipates you, learning. Not, you know... Yeah, and, sh- and, and the characters who say what you know matters less than the volume with which what you don't know is expressed like pre-Trumpian. Matilda saw all this yeah. fucking post-truth yeah. bullshit happening. I mean, we all did, but it's in there. You take everything you have into everything you do, all that social criticism. So proud of the piece, proud of its role in terms of what it teaches kids who come to the show for the first time. And it, I mean, I, I, if I didn't want to work, I would not to work. So it's r- meant uh, that I can now make choices like do this musical. I'm trying to, which, 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 which I can't really talk about, but because it might not happen, but it, it, sure. it, it ain't going to be uh, material. It's not going to sell millions of tickets. It's going to go further past where we went with Groundhog. Groundhog Day was very multi layered and a uh, bit complex. And this will be even more form busting. And because I, I now get to make choices based on what I find interesting and trying to contribute something to the culture rather than well, how am I going to pay my rent next year? You know.
1: I mean, at forty three, you're still so young, though. I mean, you've got
0: yeah, oh, decades. But, you know, oh, I mean that's you know, lovely to hear you say. Cause sometimes you different inside. Yes, but yes. I mean, you know, Mel Brooks this week with the yeah. you know, with the fake yeah. finger,
1: and you think he's still fucking going for it. You know, he's so amazing. So what I mean. Forty three is young. Please t- tell me forty
0: three is young. I think I'll be tired. Um, I think forty three is young, and I think. Sometimes you go, Oh, I've probably done my best work. And then you wake up one day and go, Oh, nah, I can do much better than that. And that's something you have to manage. And, and 43 is young, but having had my last 13, 14 years since I went to Edinburgh in 2005, I've worked very, very hard and had a lot of really I'm just couldn't, you couldn't, if you had said, what career would you like? I wouldn't have had the imagination to make it this good. Eight, for sure. You know, in terms of what I value. Even to the way I've sort of not done too many panels, like I've managed my, um, like I hate all those words, fame, celebrity. I've managed, managed that your brand, well. If you like. I've managed it quite well. Yeah. I haven't been too present. It does make you think, Oh, maybe I'm one of these people that just had a really good spurt. You do. I have felt a bit like, Oh, that, that was great. And sometimes you think, Oh, maybe it was a spurt. Maybe it was a, I mean, everyone thinks it so, feels quite they? hard to sustain. But, um, this year I've kind of come alive again. When, when I left America, when, when, um, Larrikins and I, I, I literally for six months felt like someone had stolen my mojo and I, I couldn't help the thought coming into my head. Well, you've turned 40, you, 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 you flew for the sun, you went to Hollywood and they took the little thing out of the back of your head called your mojo, the sparkly thing that makes me full of, uh, energy and uh, and and the main thing I bring to all this stuff is like yeah yeah oh let's do you know it's kind of sure. mojo. Uh, um, someone nicked it and I, I honestly just felt like oh they've they they broke me. I'll have to think of some other way to spend the next forty years. You know like. There was another voice going, don't be pathetic, Timothy. Get your fucking hand off it. But it did take of course. a few. And that hunch shoulder thing that I'm doing now, even talking about it, is all over your man lucky in the show. And you'll see the last shot of the show is is really, it's just about. <sighs> sure. Something
1: yeah. we all need to do. Mm-hmm. I've got a wrap up, haven't I?
0: It's not a bad wrap how, how up How did you get it
1: back then, the mojo? Was it
0: through the show? Just time and stopping thinking, stopping the victim narrative, stopping going, oh, well, uh, how dare they? Right. I mean? But that's just time. Time. Yeah.
1: Sam, I can't thank you enough. It's an absolute pleasure. That was a, that was an absolute blast. Thank you, man. Fun. Fun. Huge well, thanks uh, to the... Uh, I'm going to use the word legend. I'm holding my uh, one-year-old while I record this. You've been as good as a girl. Thank you. So, Luna, just so you know, you shouldn't really use the word... I, do, I was... I was when I was a young sports writer. I was told that you shouldn't use the word legend unless you're talking about Robin Hood. Well, because it gets overused, doesn't it? You know, a, a defender scores a goal and he's a legend. I mean, is he? It depends who the goals against, but that's for another podcast. But I'm going to use it with Tim. He's a legend. Huge thanks to Tim Minchin and all the people who made it happen. Very, very grateful. Upright is out now. It's wonderful. Tim's wonderful. Hello, Luna. You're you're wonderful as well. I hope you know that. Um, also, depending on when you're listening to this, keep an eye out for the, uh, for Harry Hills Club Night, the one that goes out on the 29th of November. You might recognise, uh, you might recognise one of the comedians. I'll say no more. It's my wife and my four-year-old have just walked in, so I better go. Um, thank you as always. Drop us an email, podcast at balance.media. Sales! need you go on my shoulders. There you go. Just not enjoying that. Sales at balance.media. Uh, thank you, as always. Really grateful. Tell you what, what a week, eh? Bishop, Minchin, sweet mama. By the way, that Katrina Balfe episode, by Shots, it's it's one of our most ever downloaded, it's one of our most successful, most downloaded listened to episodes ever. It's been out about a fortnight. Outlander fans, you complete me. Thank you. Anyway, take care have a have a lovely weekend and uh, speak soon upright every episode available now bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life